Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This time, what it means to have an unconventional career path. I don't regret having such a strange and wandering work life. I don't regret it mostly because I don't see the point in regretting it, but I don't feel proud of it either. I feel like it's, I am of a piece in this way. It's how I roll. It's how I am. The messy business of getting to where you want to be. Coming up on The Broad Experience. When I left university, I had quite a few friends who seemed to know exactly what they wanted to do with their lives. They went straight off to train as accountants, teachers, lawyers. I was envious, not because I wanted to be any of those things, but because at 21, I had no idea what I wanted to do other than a vague idea that it was something in the arts. They, on the other hand, seemed like they had everything sorted out. I had naively assumed that by the time I graduated from university, I'd have miraculously turned into a fully-fledged grown-up who knew what she wanted to do with the rest of her life. That was not to be. My 20s were spent in a series of jobs in insurance, publishing and digital marketing, but they were jobs. I never felt I had a career until I was in my 30s and in radio – And even now, almost 20 years after that first radio job, I still wonder if my choppy work life can be called a career. On today's show, we focus on the messiness of the unconventional career path. My guest is Erica Heilman. As some of you know, Erica is the host of the podcast Rumble Strip. Many of the characters, the stories she tells, are set in Vermont. That's where she's from and where she lives with her son, Henry. He's 17 now. But I don't want you to think this is just two audio producers navel-gazing, because that's not the point of this show. I think a lot of us have had somewhat wandering and unconventional paths. And I'm betting that Erica and I are not the only people who have asked ourselves sometimes, what the hell am I doing? Erica and I are podcast pen pals. We've actually never met in person But we go back and forth a lot on the phone and in email about the highs and lows of being independent podcasters. All I know about your background is that television featured in it somewhere and that being a private eye featured. So how on earth did that bring you to audio? Yeah, I don't I think that I have one of the most I mean, I didn't know this at the time because I was just trying to get through growing up. But I have the most circuitous route to audio and just and also kind of the most hapless and sort of feckless life trajectory. I never had a plan. I mean, I went to musical theater school for four years. I took tap dancing. Who does that other than people who want to be on Broadway? 
Who does that indeed? Oh my God. Who, you know what? Who does that? I don't know. And this was before Glee. Like who the hell does that? Nobody was doing musical theater when I was, I mean, people were doing it. People have always been doing it, but nobody was talking about it because it was before Glee. And I don't, the crazy thing is it never occurred to me. I mean, a lot of the people I went to musical theater school with are still doing musical theater and professionally because duh, like that's what we were there to learn how to do. But it never occurred to me in a million years that I would ever do musical theater professionally. So I don't know why I did that. But I think it was partly that I wanted to, I wanted to learn how to do something really well. But again, all my intentions were quite vague. And once I graduated from college, I never was thinking I was going to go to New York and, you know, hoof it around Broadway auditioning, which is what everybody else did. But she did end up in another famous city. I moved to Chicago and I started selling muffins at a muffin shop. And, you know, then I took up with an experimental theater company and we ended up doing Oklahoma. I love Oklahoma. I mean, what is not to love about Oklahoma, right? But except for that this was nothing like Oklahoma. It was only like Oklahoma in very abstract ways. But I, you know, in a mini leather dress, like a mini leather dress, Oklahoma kind of approach. And then selling muffins during the day and thinking, and I spent a lot of time that first year in co- out of college. I don't know if this is true for everybody, but I was really depressed. I It was as though the soundtrack had stopped. It's a big transition. It's a big transition to go from college, university life to work life. You just have less freedom. You feel boxed in. It's just, it's hard. Well, you don't know what's supposed to happen. Like I, because I have this problem of not being able to anticipate even what might happen tomorrow. I really didn't know what was going to happen. Anyway, I moved to Chicago and sold muffins and thought, you know, maybe this is what I'm doing now is selling muffins and this is what I'll always do. It wasn't. In the end, she only stayed in Chicago for a year or so. After a while, she found it harder and harder to drag herself to rehearsal for the theatre company. Instead, she'd sit in front of the evening news, specifically a show some of you in the US will know. It used to be called the McNeil Lara News Hour. Now it's just called PBS News Hour. And every night I would have to leave midway through the show to go to play rehearsal. And every night I was resentful because I loved that show. I loved that show. I loved that it dared to be boring. I mean, that was their motto, in fact, was dare to be boring, which is what I think news should get back to. Agreed. So she leaves Chicago, heads home to Vermont and gets a job milking cows for a few months. She then uses that money to go traveling with a friend. They get round-the-world tickets. And when she comes back to the U.S. many months later, she still doesn't have any concrete career plans. But then, out of the blue... I met a woman who happened to work at McNeil Air NewsHour. And she said there was some sort of very lowly positions there. And I said, I'm going to... That will be my position. I will have that position. And so I went and I got it. And I moved to New York and then what followed were a series of years in documentary television. And it turned out ultimately that TV wasn't entirely Erica's thing. But she was learning more and more about interviewing people during this time, which is really what she wanted to do. She's deeply interested in people, their feelings, their motivations. 
And all this time, she was living in New York, one of the most creative cities in the world. By the late 1990s, I was living there too, stimulated, but also a bit intimidated. I want to ask you about your feelings about working in a big, thriving, ambitious city like New York, right? Because I realized maybe when I was about 30 that actually this wasn't normal. Being surrounded by people who were this career driven, this ambitious, I didn't have to feel bad because actually in other parts of the world and in other parts of the US even, this wouldn't have been the case. I would have been surrounded by much more normal people. But I felt a little, like I've said this on the show before, like I have like a B plus personality, not an A. I'm not, I'm like B plus. So I don't, I'm I'm used to being surrounded by all these A-types, but I'm not really an A-type myself. But you realize when you're in big cities that they are full of type A people. Did you feel that you belonged in that environment? How did you feel about working in a crazy place like New York? Well, for me, so I was coming from a very small town. So moving to New York, I mean, it was, there wasn't anything familiar or comfortable or, I mean, it was profoundly disorienting. And talk about a soundtrack. It's kind of like there suddenly the soundtrack was full on, but it didn't feel like it was the soundtrack to my life. You know, it was just really loud, but I didn't know whose life it was playing for. It was a profound culture shock going to New York. And yeah, everybody had a everybody had a project. Everybody had a, uh, an idea. Everybody was going somewhere really fast. And I did not feel that way. And again, temperamentally, I'm not going anywhere. Like that's just my nature is that I'm the only thing that's ever going on is the question what's going on. And so that's a very present way of thinking, right? And so I didn't I don't know how to plan for a, 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 the next step in my career. And I didn't then and I still don't, but it was hard to not be more that way living in New York. I mean, the, the, there were so many jobs around that, you know, and I was working in a big building full of shows happening, that it was relatively easy to bounce from one to the next. So it wasn't that I couldn't find work ever, or that I wasn't forward moving in that regard, like I was always working. But I had no idea where it was going. And what I was pretty certain about, and I still have a lot of shame about this, is that I never thought that I would ever be the full on that I'd be the producer. Because being the producer meant being with your head on the chopping block, you know, and I didn't think I was smart enough or good enough to ever be that person. She was associate producer, but she says she was never head producer for that reason. She just didn't have the confidence. And maybe you've had this too, that sense of slight shame when you look back and you realize you didn't take a particular job or you didn't even try to apply for a particular job. Now, on the flip side, for Erica, as she looks back, she realizes she doesn't really mind because TV was not her. She says it was expensive to make, full of jostling egos. And I just thought, all of this is all such bullshit, the way that this whole world of television operates. So I taught myself how to produce audio. And I I just kind of like wandering in the dark in a room wandered toward audio because it was it got it, it, it allowed me to do what I wanted to do, which was interview people and edit. 
but I didn't have to raise $500,000 to do it. She left New York a couple of years after 9-11 and went home to Vermont. Around this time, she also got pregnant. She had a baby, but she and her son's father split up when their son was just one. So now Erica's back in Vermont, on her own, with a toddler. She had been working for a health website when she arrived back home. Then she got a job doing data entry for a friend's company. Then she started making some radio pieces on the side, something she really enjoyed. And then she landed a job she did for several years. She had this friend, Susan, who she'd met in New York when they both worked in documentaries. Susan now lived in Vermont as well, and she worked as a private detective. So, when, you know, after you know, being home in Vermont a while, she gave me work because it was, very, it was a similar skill set to documentary work. It's essentially find people and talk to them and figure out what happened. That's so interesting because I do think people, you know, you talk about being a private detective and people's ears really perk up and they think, hmm, that's interesting. I know, everybody thinks. And you know what's really funny too, Susan always says this, that people always think they'd be a really good PI. Very often people say, I always thought I'd be really good at that. <laughs> a lot of people say that. It's really, And you say, yeah, I, yeah, you, right. Um, and, you know, and the thing is, it is, People are titillated, and it is titillating. I mean, it's it was all crime. It was all criminal work that I was doing. So I guess on some level that is titillating. I mean, there, Lord knows there are enough podcasts about crime. Everybody wants to hear about dead girls, apparently. But this was a lot of, you know, pedophilia and child abuse and domestic abuse and really garish stabbings. And, I mean, those are all perhaps titillating one at a time, but they become less titillating when you're working on 20 at a time. But throughout her time as a private eye, Erica was using her questioning skills and her listening skills, putting a story together piece by piece. She says the problem is the piece together story was then just given to lawyers to use in court. It wasn't her story. She was telling stories in her freelance radio work, but pitching those stories, getting them accepted, getting them aired. It was uphill work. She wanted to tell stories of her own, make something of her own. We were both late bloomers in this regard. Like me, she was in her 40s when she launched her podcast, Rumble Strip. I remember a, a, like a moment when I decided, and it was, I think I was on a Stairmaster. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, now it's time to do that. You have to just start doing that, or you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be a disappointment to yourself and to your son if you don't start making radio consistently. And the way to make it consistently is to have is to do it yourself and make a podcast, and then you don't need anybody's permission to air things. She says she made a lot of bad audio to begin with. But today, her intimate, beautifully crafted show has listeners all over the world, she produces it single-handedly at home. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Erica has lived back in Vermont for almost two decades now, far from the cities where she's worked in the past. Thinking back to New York and what we talked about with the sort of Uh, this endless current of energy and ambition that you're surrounded by. I I haven't really talked to that many people for the show who live in rural parts of the world. You know, I have, I spoke, I spoke to a young farmer once in Maine. I recently spoke to a, like a volunteer firefighter in Oklahoma, but, but that, those are much more the exceptions. And I'm really curious, do you and your friends spend a lot of time talking about your careers? I mean, what's, how does it feel? How does it feel compared to the big city life? That's a fascinating kind of area. Like what is, what does life mean in the city versus the country? What is the tempo of life? I mean, I think one of the things I remember vividly noticing when I, when I moved to Vermont or came home to Vermont was that nobody asked me, what do you do at a party? That was very, very uh, noteworthy that we weren't the first question that people were asking me was not kind of, you know, well, what do you do? What are you doing? It, it, nobody thought to ask that, which isn't to say that, you know, I'm not saying that in New York, it's horrible or it, that it's, it's a horrible place where everybody is just ambitious. People are really I mean, what I miss about New York is just that people are extremely excited about what they're doing and want to talk about it. I mean, I wasn't moving in banker circles where ambition was just about climbing some a ladder of some kind. I was with people who were really excited about what they were doing. But there's also a certain way in which that can be very tiring when you don't want to think about all that. You don't always want to be thinking about what you're doing, you know, the project that you're working on. And in Vermont, there was just a great silence that opened up around that. And there wasn't that wasn't such a constant pressing question. She says living in a rural part of the country is different in other ways, too. Nobody does one thing. People do lots of things. You know, you might be a carpenter and a, you know, furniture maker and uh, you're in a band and, oh, also you run marathons or whatever. People are self-identified. They do many things. They, ex- they are very seldom one thing. And also, people very often don't have regular jobs here, or at least in my experience, a lot of people kind of piece lives together. So what they're doing is really interesting, but it's not as it, it is not quite so sort of intensely singular as a lot of lives in New York. She does a mixture of things herself, but they're all audio focused. She makes her show. She makes audio for the Vermont Folklife Center and other institutions, Vermont Public Radio. Do you feel at this point? Now that you're you're balancing your show and other audio work, are you happy with where you're at in your career? And do you think about yourself as having a career? I guess I should ask because sometimes I wonder about that myself. I'm like, have I? Do I have a career, or do I just have a series of weird stages? I don't know. I think I am in the latter category of. I have a, a series of weird stages. I do not. I have never thought of myself as someone with a career. I just don't. I don't think of myself that way. 
And but I'm very happy with where where I am right now. I I I I love what I do. Although for all in all the ways that we've described or talked about before, it's it's lonely and it's um it's challenging in lots of ways, but I feel absolutely like this is what I want to be doing and where I want to be doing it. In this clip from one of Erica's shows last year, she's interviewing a 15-year-old boy, Leland. He's a neighbor of hers. She's interviewed him every year for the past six years. What are you afraid of right now? The pork shortage. A lot of pork plants have been shutting down. And it's easier in places like where we live to get stuff like that. So I'm not worried as much, but the whole idea of big, massive, like one of the three Smithfield factories shutting down, the world's largest pork producer, that's just a lot of missing food. Erica's glad she moved back here all those years ago. She wants to record the lives of Vermonters, the sounds of the place. That is her life's work now. She says working in audio allows her to indulge a long love affair with the place where she grew up. I hear it differently. I, I experience it differently with a microphone. And I. this is a place that I have a long-term love for and also which includes hate of. You know, it's a place that... You know, I remember vividly when I first came back here, there were certain bird sounds that came right up out of my childhood. They were deep sense memories um, from childhood. And I realized, oh, this place has a very particular sound to it that I know that is of me. And now that I have a microphone, I feel like I'm chronicling something that is, you know, really um, cellular for me somehow. You know, I, I want to listen to it. I want, and I want to record, record it. I, I mean, I want it to be recorded, the sound of this place. And I don't think I'll ever get tired of, of doing that. I love the sound right now at this time of day. It's like crossover time. Birds are still out, but the peepers are starting. I wondered if Erica sees all the jobs she's had over the years as helping her to get where she is today or not. Yeah, I don't know how much my, you know, my muffin jobs, I had, you know, the the muffin jobs went on for quite some, I mean, I had a lot of muffin jobs. And I don't know that they they were awfully character building, (laughs) or that they gave me any special insights. And frankly, when I think back, I, I do think back with a certain measure of shame at my absolute bewilderment my my chronic bewilderment in 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 my life that i never knew where i was where i was heading and it it took a long time to get here and i don't know that i don't know that i wouldn't have started my show a lot earlier if i had um i don't know i want the answer to be different you know i don't regret i don't regret having such a strange and wandering work life I don't regret it mostly because I don't see the point in regretting it, but I don't feel proud of it either. I feel like it's it it I am of a piece in this way. It's how I roll, it's how I am, but I'm not 
I am not forward thinking. And so I've just taken um, what comes next always. I should ask you this one question before we go, which is how do you how do you view success? What do you what to you is success? Yeah, boy, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. I wish I had better, more inspiring answers, because the reality is, I mean, this is a question when you're with independent podcasting that haunts one, which is how many listeners is enough listeners? How much money is enough money? How, you know, what feedback loop is required to feel success? Uh, You know, I finally feel successful. And I feel successful because I, I am doing finally, I'm making something that I believe in, and that requires courage. And also, that I am willing to fail with, because I care about it. I'm willing to fail in what I do. And that feels like success to me, or that's part of why I feel successful, is that I finally feel willing to look stupid, in order to make something that I think is worth listening to. Yeah, so for you, success is bound up with Success is bound up with what you do and how it makes you feel, not with earning a certain amount of money by a certain age or stage. Yes, right. Yes, I absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it's like it it feels like an honest, it feels like my first honest job (laughs) in the sense that it feels true. It feels like it's part of me. It's not separate from me. And so that feels successful. It feels like I finally figured out a thing that that feels true. And yeah, it is not financial. I mean, my son wonders this sometimes, why do you not make more money? And why don't you seem to care? Or and why don't you, you know, why don't you have more listeners? Or why aren't you looking to become bigger, and more successful? And I don't have answers. I don't know why I don't want those things, or, or why those things aren't compelling to me, or compelling enough to work hard to get them, but they're not. Erica Heilman. Last year, Erica made a series of podcasts during COVID called Our Show. They were made with tape listeners sent her from around the world. And at the end of last year, The Atlantic magazine picked 50 best podcasts of 2020. And Erica's series came in at number one. That's the broad experience for this time. I will link you to more information about Erica and Rumble Strip under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. If you enjoy my one-woman show and you haven't given it a review, I would love it if you could. You can also give a donation of any amount at the support tab at thebroadexperience.com. When you do that, you're helping to support the show, to pay for the website, to pay for any equipment I buy. Thank you so much to those of you who have done this this year and especially to my sustaining members who give a donation every month. I really appreciate it. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.